Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 994 with Carrie Mori. Absolutely. At the end of the day, like I'm not going to forget about why I started it. And it's it's not about money for me. It is about me feeling successful. And that starts every morning when I get out of bed, you know? And so just knowing, okay, today I, I have to make today a good day. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program this is something that's never been done before this 60-day event is at no cost to you but it's not for everyone fred langley ceo of restaurant systems pro will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the restaurant system pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants fred will teach you recipe costing cards guidance in your books for accounting cash control sales forecasting checklist budgeting for the entire year scheduling for profit it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp this episode is brought to you by ovation creating a great guest experience is the goal of every restaurant every time. But the ways to find out what's actually happening with your guests are terrible. That's where Ovation comes in. Ovation gets happy guests to leave you positive reviews and unhappy guests to share what happened. And it gives you specific ideas to improve. Ovation, it's frictionless for your guests, easy for your managers, and powerful for you. If you're interested in actionable guest feedback, visit OvationUp.com slash Unstoppable. Unstoppable listeners get $100 off their setup fee. What are you waiting for? That's OvationUp.com up.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by One Huddle, a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fire up your workforce. With One Huddle, you can onboard new employees up to 45% faster. There was actually a study done by the University of South Florida that has proven that you can train your employees 45% faster. This just isn't fluff. This is real stuff. One Huddle, this new and improved way to educate your staff will train translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the guest experience in both front of house and back of house, i.e. menu development, just learning the menu, POS, limited time offers, food costs, things like this. To learn more, head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. That's the number one in huddle, like a football huddle. And when you use that link, you can get access to one huddles game shop, 3000 plus on demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe to the latest Amazon best-selling books and so much more. One more time, restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you on the show for the first time, founder and CEO of Cali's Hot Little Biscuits, Carrie Mori. Carrie, are you feeling unstoppable today? I 
pretty much feel unstoppable every day. You are. I mean, just watching from the outside, looking in at your story, what you've accomplished, all the things you got going on. On top of that, your mom, you know, juggling all these things and managing to find the balance or at least doing your best to find the balance uh, is just really impressive. I can't wait to dive into your story and to find out how you got where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Oh my gosh, I have a lot. Do you want a business one or a personal one? Give us one for each. Okay. My personal has always been work hard, play hard. Yes. So that's how I live my life. And then I would say within our business, uh, the most recognizable one that we all kind of live by is be a biscuit. Be a biscuit. Rise tall, be warm and buttery on the inside, and be open to anyone's jam. What's buttery look like? I'm curious. How do you be buttery? Well, you know, it's kind of a play on the golden rule. So be confident, rise tall, be warm and buttery on the inside. So be kind and be open to anyone's jam. Be accepting of everyone. Like everyone's different and let's rise tall, be nice and be kind to everyone. Is that a Callie's Hot Little Biscuits original? It is. I like it. It is. We even have a t-shirt. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm going to have to give you my address. (laughs) You got it. You got it. (laughs) Awesome. I cannot wait to dive into your story. Um, I I really just from, like I said, doing my research, seeing all the things you got going on, uh, all the amazing things Charleston has said about you, just being around asking people, who should I talk to? Who should I'm going to ask you that later today. Uh, And your name has come up multiple times to the point where I kind of lost track of who called you out. So, oh my gosh. Well, that is very kind. That, I needed to hear that today. So thank you. You earned it, my friend. So uh, where does it make sense? Bring me to the beginning. When, when did you know biscuits, you're going to be in the business of biscuits? Oh my gosh. Well, I don't think that I knew I was going to be in the business of biscuits until after I'd had our first daughter, which was about 18 years ago. And I was searching for a way to work within my passion, but also be super focused and a stay-at-home mom. And I was trying to figure out, how can I work in food without owning a restaurant? And that was a problem that I was trying to solve because I wanted to have both. I wanted to be really focused and be at home with my girls, but I wanted to have a life in the food world. But I knew that owning a restaurant or owning our own gourmet spot was not going to be conducive to the lifestyle that I wanted to lead. When you say gourmet, do you, what do you mean by gourmet? Well, you know, in the beginning, we talked, my mom and I talked about opening up our own kind of Dean and DeLuca grab and go eatery. Uh, but you know, when it came down to it, you're a slave to your brick and mortar, right? right. So um, that was not going to work. And this is back in 2005. And my mother didn't even have an email address. And I had just moved home from New York, where I had been in completely ensconced in all things food. And just my eyes had been open to not only all kinds of food and, and, and exposed to different people and me exposing Southern food to my new friends in New York, but also the internet was just beginning. It was actually, I moved home because of the dot com. I was working for an internet company and it went out of business. So I knew, or I thought I knew what was getting ready to happen. And I said, well, why can't I do this business from home? Why can't we be a mail order biscuit business? Mm. Your biscuits are so great. Everyone asks for them. We need to share them. And my mother said, 
this is the stupidest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> Why would anyone want to buy my biscuits? So that's kind of how it started. You got to prove mom wrong, huh? I did. So, I think I still am. Nice. I love that. So what were you, what was the dot-com life? What, what, what was your, your, your lane? What were you doing there? I, at 27, uh, got recruited by my first and only boss to help her build a business uh, within the food world and the eBay space. So this is before eBay. This Sounds is like before- gold belly. Well, <laughs> but maybe. maybe it was before anyone had a website. So we would build them a template-based website. Right. Like, for instance, Uptown Social. They didn't. Can you, can you date this? What, where, what year is it when you're doing this? We started this in 97 from her dorm room in Harvard. Okay, so like eight years before you come back and do your own thing. Correct. Okay. Right. So she was my only job, first real job out of college. and Sounds like a Harvard thing to do in 1995 or whenever it was. Yeah. yeah. she. I was her first employee hired and she was going through business school and she wanted to create kind of a coupon book in exchange for building people websites. This is hard to imagine because this is before anyone had websites right restaurants were the last to get right. websites oh so they're the last to do everything let's be honest we <laughs> would give them you know we would say okay for twenty five hundred dollars in gift certificates we're going to build your website and this is going to help you bring people in the door and then you know that when you give a gift certificate to somebody we would auction them off on on our website the, the company was called city spree and um, they would take the gift certificates, they would buy them, and then they would come in and spend the gift certificate and inevitably spend more. And it was a way to drive traffic to the restaurants. Got it. So a cross between restaurant.com and eBay, if you if they had a baby. So did you guys have success with this model? We did, but you know, it was a classic investor situation. She got investors right out of school. She won this Dublier business plan contest in Harvard. And they funded her. We all moved to New York, all three of us, and started to work. And they wanted us to scale it across the country. And so somehow I got in charge of building and hiring and managing a sales force. At one point, it was over 300 people. Wow. And we were going out into communities like Charleston and going door to door and selling, you need a website. It's The internet is the new thing. And you're not going to have to pay us any money, but we want you to give us gift certificates. And this is going to drive traffic to your restaurants. So you go to a restaurant. You say, we're going to build you a website. You don't need to pay us. But in exchange, we want, to pay, you, we want you to pay us in basically the equivalent to cash. Correct. And once you got those gift certificates, you would sell those gift, gift certificates to the consumer. Auction them off. Auction online. them off. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, what, typically, how much money would you get a gift certificate? gift certificate for and how much more could you uh like how much could you make on that on i don't remember those logistics because it was 20 something years ago but i do remember 200 percent. we would oh definitely at least 100 percent. but we would you know sell off different increments so one day it would be a 25 dollar depending on the level of restaurant as well so you know we'd sell a hundred dollars or you know we would we would sign up chain restaurants too and then those were super popular back then so uh, so one thing I'm curious about, um, why didn't it, like, why eventually did it stop? Well, it stopped because do you remember in 1999 when the internet crashed the, the dot bomb, everyone was being funded with their ideas and we, the VCs were demanding that we scale so that we could be nationwide. So we had these massive payrolls cause we were, 
employing hundreds of people to go out into their individual city and our payroll was massive and we weren't bringing in enough money and we didn't get funded. I think we got funded a second C, you know, a B series and then we, we folded. How did this experience, this eight year experience help give you the experience you needed to go do what you did next? Well, I think I learned a lot. I learned how to, first and foremost, manage people because I was in charge of all these people that some of them were older than me, younger than me. And, you know, I was trying to motivate them to sell and get get them excited about this opportunity, you know. And so this is all new to all of us. And so managing and, and, and hiring and convincing people that this was a great idea was incredible experience, especially for me at 27 years old. I mean, I feel like we're doing that with our employees, you know, just in the restaurant industry, because we are essentially salespeople, you know, especially our frontline people, Correct. our, our salespeople where we're constantly, we have to, we have to convince them how amazing the product is so they can convince the consumer and everyone has to kind of drink the Kool-Aid, right? Absolutely. So you're kind of getting repetitions and how to do that. Um, what about just being so close to the restaurant industry? I mean, were you somebody who was drawn to the restaurant industry even before? Well, I grew up working in restaurants. I grew up catering with my mom. I knew that that was where my heart was, but I did not want to work in the restaurant life. Why not? What was the, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I think sometimes I wonder if I scared myself straight, if I still want to pursue this after talking to so yeah. many people, but what, I mean, it sounds like you were kind of wise. I mean, for all the difficult, I mean, for all the reasons that everybody hears, you know, it's, it's a hard life, yeah. you know, you, you're getting out at one in the morning, you're for lack of a better word, jacked up, hard time sleeping, you know, then you start, you know, being around alcohol and drugs and, and seeing people do so many things. It just, it, it wasn't meshing with the lifestyle that I wanted to lead. I wanted to be home on the weekends. I wanted to be home in the evenings with my family. I wanted a regular, whatever regular means, nine to five job, but in food. Got it. Got and it. in 2005, that did not exist. No. I mean, the, that's one cool thing about the world we live in. I feel like the, the food and beverage industry has fragmented so much Yeah, that there's just so many different verticals. And that's one thing that I try to get out of, uh, you know, our, our, we have the blinders on sometimes that there's so much opportunity and to, I think you're a perfect example of start small and scale start over small. time. Absolutely. And for some reason, people think I'm not a real restaurant tour. I'm not, nobody will take me seriously until I have a $1 million you know, restaurant going for that on day one is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure we'll kind of talk about how to scale into things as we un- continue with your story. Any other key variables in your earlier, um, you know, your earlier journey before looking to start Kaz Hot Little Biscuits? Well, I think knowing what my passion was, was the biggest important moment. You know, I think that's really hard for young people because people say it all the time, find your passion, Mm -hmm. work in your passion. But if you don't figure that out, then work is going to be hard. What is your passion? I think my passion is multiple things, but mainly food, mm-hmm. all things food, feeding people, um, specifically Southern food, but also all cultures, yeah. you know, just learning about how food connects us. You'll and never stop learning. You'll with, never. There's so much information. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so knowing that I love food and have this passion and, you know, think about it all the time, putting that together with feeding people 
and then getting the accolades and receiving that feedback is super yeah. rewarding. When it comes to feeding people, like what is it exactly about feeding people that sparks you up? I, you know, I think that that is my communication. You know, I love to feed people. I love to feed my family, my friends, strangers off the street. I love that connection, the nostalgia specifically with biscuits that people have when they taste our biscuits. And I can see it on their face and they immediately say, this tastes just like my blah, blah, blah. Grandmothers, aunts, sisters. Oh, in my family, we had this recipe passed down. And, you know, for me that there's nothing, there's not a better compliment than that, you Mm. know, to hear that you've connected someone to a a memory, uh, in their family. Yeah. You you mentioned the the power of food, like how it connects us all. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Well, I think I see it in my own family and I see it when I eat with strangers. You, Food brings you together. So you sit down. You may have had a long, tense day. You may be in an argument with somebody. You sit down and you have a meal, and it kind of breaks down the barriers. And by the end of the meal, and this happens to us all the time as a family, like we all come in hot at the end of the day, right? Um, and it's it's my thing. We're, we got to sit down for family supper. It doesn't matter if we're not speaking. This happened just last night. My second daughter was furious with us because we wouldn't let her do something. She's a teenager. By the end of the meal, everyone is just in a different headspace, you know? There what do you think's going on there? Well, I think that there's a lot of love when you cook for someone. And so when you see that somebody has prepared a meal for you, it I mean, there's got to be serotonin release. There's dopamine release. There's you see that somebody cares enough to take the time to make a meal with you. And and throughout that process, you're talking about your day and and there, it always gets better, yeah. right? No matter how bad your day is, if yeah. you sit down and you have a good meal and you're with the people that you care about the most, like it, it kind of makes it everything else not, nothing else matters. Carrie, you're striking a chord with me. I'm loving <laughs> this, really. Like this is some great stuff. And what you're sharing really brings me back. And I think this is what connection you, when you talk about when people come together, food brings people together. 100%. And when I was young, I used to think I was passionate. I think I, I still love food. Like I think most, a lot of people love food, but I realized later in life that it wasn't necessarily the, the, the act of cooking the food that I loved while I really did enjoy it. Really what made me happy was when people came to my house mm-hmm. to have the food and being together, there was always food and a fire. Those two things. Mm, now you're like, speaking my language. Those two things are like, like superpowers Mm -hmm. and think about a fire. People just want to go next to it and sit around it. So now you're sitting around, you're looking around like a round table, right? You are eating food, you're talking, you're sharing stories. And I think that to me, I realized later in life, it's the, it's the connection. It's bringing people together. It's, it's that to me is the magic. And I think that that's what I'm hearing in your story too. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I mean, I renovated my house and put a fire place elevated in my kitchen so that we could have a fire at all times. Even in the miserable heat of the summer, I just turned the air down. So (laughs) I'm right there with you. I love it. Great way to get this thing started. So let's pivot. Um, The the dot-com boom, right? That's what you said. Kind of put an end to your previous venture. Um, What what was like the worst part of that? Like take us to like the, the, the low of the low. Was there a low or was it kind of just like, Oh, well I guess we tried We'll move on to the next. No, it, it was really hard. It was, you know, we all believed in this, 
this idea and we all worked really hard to make it happen and we ran out of time and money. How'd that feel? I don't think I really understood the heavy of it because I was young and it wasn't on my shoulders. And I, you know, the, the CEO of that company who's a dear friend has been for 25 years. I, I think about that often, how heavy it must have been for her. But I was the last person to be laid off because I was in charge of letting Laying everyone up. go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and I, it, I can remember having to call people and tell them and, you know, just, I mean, really, really awful. I mean, there's going to be a lesson there. Well, when I had to do that again during COVID, it was very, it was very reminiscent of that, you know, trauma coming back. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, important life lessons there, really important and transparency, honesty, um, doing everything you can for your team, no matter what, because at the end of the day, no matter, we didn't know what was going to happen in COVID. You know, we thought we would be back in two weeks. Not to mention you're filming a show at this time too. Yeah. How about that? I know. Uh, but being honest with people, staying in contact, making sure they're okay. Just at the end of the day, being a good person and, making sure you're doing the right thing yeah, by I th- people. I think the best thing right there is transparency. Like this mm-hmm. is my intention. This is what I want to do. This is what could happen that could cause me to not do what I want to do. And you need to be aware that this is a reality. If it does happen, I'm sorry, but it's on the table, you know, just letting people know the big picture and what's going on. So they're not blindsided. That's you right. Know? So like, and if they, they do have to do something else, they, at least they have like time to like figure it out and make the transition easier. And I think transparency is huge. Um, I mean, I'm kind of going through that right now with the restaurant Unstoppable. I usually travel with a videographer. It's not cheap to have somebody on the road with you traveling, making them feel comfortable, giving them safe space, flying them out, then paying them to do the job on top of that. Right. So like one of the things I'm learning here with restaurant Unstoppable is like you, you don't know what you know until you know. The only way to know is to give it a shot. Right. And to be completely open and honest and transparent the, the whole way. Um, so right now I'm here by myself, right? So I'm trying to find the balance of when do I need the videographer and what can I do on my own, get right. outside my comfort zone, juggling all these cameras, you know? <laughs> um, but I think it all starts with that transparency. Sure. Yeah. So I think now is a great time to take a break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to talk about how you started to move things along with Cali's Hot Little Biscuits. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. 
often the team at restaurant systems pro helps restaurant tours out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks i mean it's hard out there but because of that a lot of the time these restaurant tours don't follow through because they have no skin in the game for that reason there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back. Now let's get into the nitty gritty of your business. Callis Hot Little Biscuits. You've always loved your mom's biscuits. I have always loved my mom's biscuits. You've always wanted to be a food entrepreneur. No. No. I I didn't know I was going to be an entrepreneur. Okay. I think I think I did it out of necessity because I couldn't find a job that would allow me the lifestyle I wanted to lead and work in the industry that I I wanted. I think I said it wrong. You always knew you wanted to work with food. Correct. I always wanted to work with food. I didn't know how that was going to work. And that was the problem I was trying to solve. You got laid off. I got laid off. What's going on? What's, where I are actually, you emotionally? Are you okay with it? Well, I I was in. I moved to New York for this job, so I actually decided I wasn't ready to leave New York, and I got my own apartment on my own and found another job as a recruiter at a small staffing agency. Just because I just wasn't ready to leave, and I think yeah. I needed to prove to myself that I could make it on my own in New York. Yeah, and this was right up your alley. You had an incredible, you know, uh, resume to do this, right? So, so any any reason to hover over this part of your life any longer, or should we? Are there any lessons to draw, or should yeah, we? Move the forward? only thing that I would say about my moment with understanding the country ham biscuit and how it was going to play into the rest of my life is that this job I had to. I was a salesperson, so I was trying to get people to use our staffing agency. And so I would take my mom's biscuits, put them in my suitcase. I would leave them in my freezer. They probably had freezer burn. And I would parcel them out, heat them up, wrap them in foil like in packs of four with a handwritten note. And I'd send them in the morning with the courier to the whoever the client was that I was trying to get. And people that weren't Southern would say, oh, my God, what the hell is this? This is the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. And that was when I knew there was something more to the biscuit. Because I knew Southerners love country ham biscuits. But I was meeting with all kinds of people, and they loved it, and they couldn't get enough. And so that's probably when my wheels started to turn, and I met my husband in New York, and we knew that we didn't want to live in New York forever, so we moved back to Charleston. Wheels turning. What do you mean? What's going on? What's what's the narrative? Just started dreaming about, wow, what if I was able to figure out a way to work in food? I don't need to worry about being you know, in sales necessarily, although I'm in sales. We're, we're all in sales. <laughs> we are all I believe in everyone, sales. whether you know it or not, you are selling, you're on a date, you're selling yep. yourself. You the know, hustle is you're real. going for a job opportunity, you're selling yourself. Right. You're meeting a new great group of people and you want to become friends with them, you're selling yourself. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So I, I, I think it was just like this little moment. I, I tucked it away. I didn't think anything of it. I didn't have the aha moment to start the business. And it wasn't until I came home got married, worked with my father, who was an investment advisor, which was another sales job that I definitely was not passionate about, although I loved my father and loved working with him. And that was when I said, you know what, I'm not going to work. I'm just going to be a stay-at-home mom. And that lasted about six months. And then I said, okay, I got to figure something out because I'm going kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, and so that's when I really started to say, okay, well, what could I do? Should we open this 
grab-and-go eatery, meaning like the Dean and DeLuca gourmet shop, and that just wasn't feasible. What is Dean and DeLuca for those who aren't familiar? Oh, God. Well, you know, I don't even think Dean and DeLuca is around anymore, but... Um, for the record, I'm one of those people who's not familiar. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, I don't know. What's, what is Dean and DeLuca? I'm well, from New Hampshire. We didn't have those up okay, there. Okay. Well, Dean and DeLuca is a small group, or was, I don't think it's around anymore, of very high-end gourmet, small bodegas. New York, L.A., uh, St. Helena. Like pre-made foods? Pre-made foods. They brought in the finest packaged foods. You could go and get coffee and lattes, and they were on many corners of New York. Bodega is like a convenience store for those Yeah, but like high-end. 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 Got it. Like a fancy grab-and-go gourmet shop. I think the other thing that you're that's worth resurfacing, and I'm afraid I just want to bring it to the surface in case it doesn't come up again, is that you noticed that there was a void in the market. That uh, biscuits was a very southern thing, uh, saturated in the south, but the rest of the country was wide open market. Oh yeah, well that was also could have been a huge hindrance, and and I would say it Why was until in the last ten years. Well, because a lot of people would tell you that. 15 years ago, they didn't eat biscuits unless they were from the South. You know, right. people in New York would say, we eat bagels. We don't eat biscuits. And yeah. out West, they'd say, you know, we eat avocado toast, yeah. not biscuits. But so. I think what's, what's also interesting, ironically, around the time that you're launching this business, the internet's also launching. Like, I'm right. talking the mobile experience. So between 2007 and 2010, everybody wanted everything, no matter where it was, because they could see it. You're in New Hampshire. You see... South Carolina biscuits. You're like, how do I get my hands on those things? You know, you're you're in California. You see New York City bagels. How do I get my hands? You're in New York. You see California sourdough. How do I get my hands on that? So like, there was this crazy thing happening. No matter where you were, everybody wanted it. Correct. And there was so much opportunity to be best in class in your region if it wasn't being done yet. That is right. And yeah. there was not another biscuit business. I remember trying to lease a space to make the biscuits and ship them in downtown Charleston. And when I would meet with realtors, I'd say, I want to start a biscuit business. And they'd say, what are you talking about? What's a biscuit business? You right. know? And so I was really trying to educate and really I was in a new sector. I mean, nobody was, nobody was shipping food online, mm-hmm. especially in Charleston, so, maybe Omaha steaks. So you wanted to, you, originally you wanted to have the grab and go. That was like, that was like the goal. Yeah. But then I realized that wasn't going to fit my lifestyle either. You know, I wanted, that was dreamy, but you know, I was going to be working there seven days a week and slaving away. And that was not what I wanted to do. I had to remember my reason for searching, which was, I want to find a job where I can be a full-time mom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I thought, Oh, I can sell this one product. One, I started the business with just country ham biscuits. So I tell people that because if I can start a business with one regional product that most of the country doesn't even know exists, and be in business 18 years later and have what I would call a success story, you can do anything with enough passion, gumption, hustle. Yeah. You know? But I think the key to your story, sorry, did I cut you short? No, no. I think the key to your story, and I was probably, I was thinking about sitting on this until later, but I think so many people get in trouble because they try to go too big too soon. And one of the biggest lessons I've learned talking to nearly a thousand successful restaurateurs is start where you can. Just start. Sure. That is that is one of the hardest parts is to just take the leap and start. And what's your overhead associated with a, a mail order versus opening a brick and mortar? Oh, my God. It's so much easier to do the mail order. But you don't always necessarily have the volume that you can have with a brick and mortar. It's true. 
but this, now you do, but, but you, your liabilities are a lot lower too. So you're not going to get shut down. But if you're a true entrepreneur, because this is what happened to me, uh, we started the internet business, and there we were a fourth quarter business. And even then, we would be able to, you know, once we got the hang of it, I was like, okay, I want more business. How else can I sell these biscuits? What avenues can I go in? Oh, well, we should sell them to grocery stores. Oh, we should do biscuit classes. Yes. So, as an entrepreneur, you're always thinking like, how else can I do this? And you're not realizing that you're either grow well you're growing your brand but you're also in some cases hurting yourself if you're trying to scale because if in theory if you're trying to scale you should probably just pick one area and grow it yes but that is not my personality well i think vertical integration might come into the pit the mix of this conversation <laughs> is it going to no well it, i mean i'm I'm definitely down for it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of vertical integration, but before we get to that point, I think that'll come out organically as we, as we progress. So when, when they like, what year is it when you're having the conversation of I'm going to do this and you actually start making steps towards shipping your first biscuits? Was it 2003, four? We shipped our first biscuits in November of 2005. So, so we took that whole year I'm sure I started talking about it when Caroline, my oldest, was about seven months old. So we in 2004 is when we started talking about it. 2004, I started talking about it. 2005, things started to get into motion. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the, like if somebody wants to do what you did, maybe they want to do mail order tortillas, you know, fill in the blank, mail order, whatever. Mm-hmm. Their passion, mail order. What are the things to consider? Well, it's totally different now than it was when I started. So it, the the road has been paved. So it's a little bit easier, but it costs more money. So what's easier about it now? Well, you've got social media, which is a great way to start because you can start tomorrow really small and do it. What does that look like? If, if you're starting today, knowing what you know about the mail order, what would you do differently? From How did you do it and what would you do today? If I were starting today, knowing what I know now, I probably would go out and get investors, especially if the market wasn't saturated. Even with mail order? Yeah. Why? Where is that money going? What do you need that initial cash flow for? Advertising. Okay. Which I never spent money on advertising until in the middle of COVID. Okay. Wow. So five, 15 years into it. But you had scaled pretty considerably up to that point. When did I mean, it really things start to take off for you? You know, I would say that it, we were always a fourth quarter mail order business. What does that mean? That means that we were slow year round until Christmas, October, November, yeah. December, and it would be slammed. Got it. Like almost you couldn't handle it. We were small. Got it. So, you know, the SEO and advertising online digitally has helped us grow to be busier in other times of the year. Want, and we still have a ways to go. I want gravy and biscuits right now. So bad. <laughs> this image just keeps coming up in my head and head over and over again. Sorry. But, um, so I was thinking the reason why I was thinking that is because like, how else could you market biscuits outside of that, that pocket, you know, that holiday pocket. And I was like breakfast, you know, that's why yeah. I, I was well, yeah. biscuits and gravy. Mm-hmm. I'm doing it again. Okay. <laughs> um, so, how did you get away from, like, what was the evolution? What did you, well, I think our, we're still going down this path of what would you be doing differently, knowing what you know now. So kind of pick up that train of thought. Um, well, I would definitely um, get investors. I'd get experts that knew the field, which I did not. Um, I would hire a PR firm to help spread the word and talk about us and get some media. And I probably would find a co-packer. How much which do you, I didn't do any of those things. I did those hire things. a PR firm. So uh, 
running ads, PR, uh, cope hacker, like shop, like shotgun, or what's the word I'm looking for? Big, like just like guess, like what 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 would we need to budget for that? Like a ballpark figure, like how much, how far out of reach is that? Just for most people, or how close is it? And people don't realize how close it is. Well. I mean, this would be in my dream world if I was trying to scale the business and grow it and sell it, you know, millions, millions. Yeah. Um, So that's what you would do in the dream world. Yeah. Take us back to what the way you actually did. So you started with just mail order. Started with just mail order. Uh, My mom and I each put in $10,000, bought a sealing machine that I saw at my butcher and said, ooh, this will help keep the biscuits in place and keep them from freezer burn and put that on the top of my dryer made the biscuits at a local uh, catering company on their one day off a week and then transported them to my house and while my babies were crawling around on the floor I would hand apply labels and spray them onto 10 tie coffee bags <sighs> and once well probably twice a week go out to the FedEx office and drop off the few boxes that were randomly coming in yeah so this is 2005. What was the next evolution to your, like what, what was like the, the what was like a, a hurting point, a struggle, and how did you like get to the next point? How did you overcome that? The next point was we hired, we decided after doing it as a trial for about eight months, we decided two things. My mom and I should have never gone into business together because it was <laughs> disastrous. And two, we needed to make a go of it or not do it. And so we went and, borrowed I think $80,000 and put together a budget that included renting a space and hiring a PR firm, uh, buying packaging, all the bare minimum things we would need to do and enough money to pay very part-time employees to help bake. When did this happen? 2006, seven, seven. So about two years into it, mm-hmm. what was the, the disaster that was happening between your, you and your mom? Paint the picture of what the realities well, are of working with family and how that can be. Going back to being a really good salesperson, I talked her into doing something she didn't believe in, she didn't want to do, and she wasn't passionate about. But I'm a good salesperson. So I, I said, you got to do this with me. So did she eventually transition out? Yes. Pretty early on, it sounds like. Um, it, it took us a while. I can remember being on the streets of New York after the Today Show and having a shouting match and screaming at each other in the cab. And I said, we can't do this anymore. So this is 2007? Uh, the Today Show? That was 2008. Eight. So around this time. Right, was right some, after that, it was. So you realize we maybe shouldn't be working together. We're not great. Great mother-daughter relationship, not the best business partner relationship. It's hard to have a partner, period, and it's really hard. I mean, I'm not – I was no angel either. It was was mutual. Get real. Like, we're reflecting back the the woman you are today, how you've evolved emotionally and – I'm sure as as we get progress into life, we all we always I think the the, the evolution never stops, right? Right. So reflecting back into the the mid two thousands, the woman you were then, what advice would you give yourself? Do it on your own. Do it on your own. What were you doing? What was like the, the challenge? Between I you think I was scared. I knew that I could run the business, manage it. I didn't have the baking knowledge, and I didn't want to dig in and learn it. Okay. I wasn't so given you, the opportunity. You want to outsource to your mom as far as the, the knowledge. That's why I say like you you don't need to be an expert in baking to have a biscuit business. You need to be an expert in 
business or managing people and giving them the tools and having the passion to grow a business, you know? So, but I didn't have that. I didn't have the vision for what the company is today. I mean, remember I wanted to have a mail order only business. And as my children got older and went to preschool and I had two extra hours in the day, I'd sit around and go, well, how else can I sell these biscuits? Mm -hmm. So it was always dreaming about how to grow the business. I didn't have that plan. It just organically happened. When I had yeah. free time, I was like, okay, well, what else can we do? What this can we do a, now? This is a very good point. I think that people get married to their visions. They share their visions. And if they have any level of integrity, they go, well, if I don't follow through with what I said I'm going to do, I'm going to have a less integrity. I suffer from this. Hmm. But I think it's important to accept that your vision can change over time. As you open yourself up to new perspective, new inspiration, as you grow, as your skills improve, your vision is going to change. The possibilities change. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's good to kind of hang on to like your original vision. Like it's like as long as you're headed generally north, you know, we're going this way, right? You can tone in which one like radial you want to be on. Maybe it's mm-hmm. not 360 degrees, but it might be 350 degrees, but still this general direction. Right. right? And you can tighten it as you go into the future. Um, so you knew you wanted to be a food person. You didn't necessarily want to be cooking the food, but you wanted to start a business around the food. Um, your mom didn't want anything to do with the business. Uh, so how did you kind of close this gap of, okay, how do we transition mom out? And how do we get systems? How do we make it as close to possible as when mom is doing it? Well, when we finally agreed that she would step out, I went in and we had a few college kids that were baking with us. And I said, I, you're, I, I had to humbly go to them and say, I need to learn how to do this. Yeah. And I was terrified. I mean, I'd, I'd you know, made biscuits, but I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> I, I love I, the vulnerability right now, by the way. Thank you. I wasn't. I, I was focused on growing the business. Mm-hmm. So, and I was scared of failure, you know, because I've never, I've always been a cooker, but I've never been a baker. Right. It's chemistry. But the, the interesting part about making biscuits is that it's not necessarily what I would call baking. It is a baked good, but it has so much forgiveness, unlike most baked goods, that anybody can do it. And the most important key ingredient is the love for it. So I had to kind of let everything down. And I think also I thought that that was my mom's role and I didn't think I'd be able to do it as good as her. So once I dug That's a in, fear. That's an anxiety. Sure. That's not necessarily real, but it's the narrative you're telling yourself. Right. Right. Once I got in there and put an apron on and did it for months, I was like, Oh my God, what, what was, was I so, scared yeah. of? What you experience in that moment is literally, um, we just had this author on the show. His name's Tom Sterner. And I'm, re- I'm echoing this cause it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. The, the, the power of just the practicing mind of, of recognizing and realizing that you are not your thoughts, that right. you need to shift to the place of the observer and move like outside of your body to recognize that your thoughts are controlling you where you are right now is exactly where you're supposed to be in your journey. And if you want to get better, just, just focus on the practice, do it over and over and over. And as before, you know, you find that like, you almost find like, it's almost like meditation. Like doing the thing is like getting lost in the practice is meditative. Well, and yeah. and then like the, where's you're like, why was I so afraid of this? Right? Yeah. It's so powerful. Well, well, most of us are afraid of the unknown. Mm-hmm. So once you know it, 
there's nothing to fear. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Um, we, we don't know what we don't know either, which mm-hmm. is the other scary thing, mm-hmm. you know, but you just, there's only one way to find out. There's only one way to find out. Start making biscuits. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you start making the biscuits. I am curious too. You said 2000. So you didn't really start taking off until later you said, but you're on the, the, the good morning America show. Are we you had a really, modest? we had a really good PR firm who today is still like my, one of my confidants. So, so you did have some, we had, you know, this was, and again, this part of, of PR is, is kind of a dying heart art. So it's hard to, for people to remember, but I mean, Bon Appetit and the Today Show, they are always looking for what's next. What are, what are we going to talk about today? I mean, think about the Today Show's live television. They're always looking for content. It's so the, it's the Today Show. That's right. <laughs> and so you, I partnered, I, I hired Leapfrog PR, Libba, and she made it her business to be, have connections with. I'm like, this name sounds super familiar. I'm like, oh. She's amazing. She's your publicist. And I've been talking to her for the past. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That's why yes, it yes. sounds familiar. Uh, so, you know, she has the connections. And so she would write and say, this is a great brand. It's a great story. And you, why don't we come on the Today Show and teach Kathy Lee and Hoda how to make biscuits? I need a publicist so bad. Libba. I highly recommend her. Libba, let's talk, sister. Let's <laughs> um, okay. So we've driven home the significance of having a good publicist and a as much as, I mean, I almost don't like to admit that it's so important, you know, because you'd like to think that your your ability to do the job and your talent is should speak for itself, right? And word of mouth should be able to be enough to get the word out there. But I don't think it is anymore. It's, so, it's such a noisy place. Very noisy. Very, very noisy. And everyone's super competitive. Yeah, yeah. So It wasn't like that, though, when we started. So I, I mean, think it's I, even noisier now. Oh, yeah. And it, was, it wasn't as noisy as as it is now by far. So it was a lot easier, but I mean, I, I didn't have any connections with people at right. high end food magazines or national television shows. So you're a couple years into this. You have the savviness to have a PR person. You take the, the leap to start making biscuits and learning and starting to practice on your own. What was the next step? Eventually you got out of, of making biscuits, right? I, well, no, I, I still make biscuits nice. today. I mean, I don't make them, you know, I'm, I'm not counted on for, but I, there are many a day at Hot Little Biscuit because of our short staff situation that I'm making biscuits. Got so it. I would say for the restaurants, oh my gosh, yeah, yep. I make biscuits all the time yep. on the fly. So at this point, you're still just mail order only. At this point, we're mail order only and we are still renting kitchen space. When I hired the publicist is when we rented the space and we got the Food Network called wow. and said we want to do... That's, that was really the impetus to get the space because the Food Network called and I said, we cannot film in this rented catering kitchen. We got to get a space like th- this was we got to either put some money into it and do it or not. And so that's when we did that and they came in and filmed. And this was a show. You may remember it. It was called Unwrapped where they traveled all over the country and they did um, pieces on how food was made. And it was anything from really small companies like mine to like, how do they make um, Laffy Taffy and massive production facilities? So they came and spent 12 hours with us and it aired for eight, eight years. 12 hours. I feel guilty asking for two hours. <laughs> 12 hours. 12 it was hours. a long day and I was very pregnant. Oh, wow. But 
that show would air all the time. And that is how we built our email list because there was no social media. I mean, that people would watch the show. We'd go to bed. The show would air at 10 o'clock and we'd wake up and we'd have 150 orders. Back then, that was a lot of orders. Right. That was like what we would get an entire month at Christmas. So and you're still just shipping frozen biscuits at this just point. Just shipping they- two flavors. Well, I started with just one, the country ham. Then we added about a year in the cheese and chive. Got it. So, so many different things. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to decide what to talk about first. <laughs> um, were you profitable? I'm curious. Were you profitable before this point? Before like the American um, uh, Good Morning or the Today Show, and then the uh, Food Network? Because you took out loans. So we took a loan, and we did not pay ourselves any money until right around the two-year mark. I think we ended up at the end of the second year of that loan, paying off the loan and writing each of us a check for $10,000. Wow. Uh, so it took three years almost to get to the point where you're profitable. Mm-hmm. Of just, and um, I th- what, what what put you in the position? Were you, is it because you had multiple revenue, multiple, multiple incomes coming in the house? Like what, like how did you sustain this for three years without profit, I guess is what I'm curious Well, about. I made a promise to my husband that I would not let it interfere with my mom duties. So I was a stay-at-home mom. I only worked either with them on my hip or when they were in like church day school for two hours a day. Got it. So you had, I wasn't sure of your married situation, if you were with somebody or if you were a single mom at this point. Yeah, so he was bringing home the bacon. There's definitely benefits to being in a multi-revenue family oh yeah yeah (laughs) i mean i wouldn't have been able to do it without him yeah um even today as a single male i forget (laughs) sometimes that when you get married sometimes there's there's multiple revenue coming in it makes it easier for sure uh so okay so you you get all this exposure you start getting 150 orders like overnight what's the next evolution for you well then i'm like oh my gosh we got to figure out how we can sell more because once you start selling you're like Okay, let's start dreaming so, about how how can we sell more? Well, I don't want to just only sell when we're on this TV show. So how are we going to, what are we going to do with these people that have ordered? We're going to create an, an email list. And I don't want to just ask them for orders all the time. I need to give them something. And so that was when a dear friend who is my book agent said, you should start a food blog. And I said, a food blog? And this was 2008. I don't even think I knew. I was like, why would anybody want me to write a food blog? I'm not a chef. Yeah. And she said, but you cook so much and you have so many great recipes and you've got great stories. You should just share them on through your email. And then right about this time, we went on the Today Show and Hoda and Kathy Lee, we taught them how to make biscuits and we brought a crab dip for them to put on the biscuit. And so we're at the moment of truth. The biscuits are made and it's the final shot and... She says, oh, she puts the biscuit in her mouth and she had dolloped some of the crab dip. or Kathy Lee? Both of them. Okay. They had dolloped some of the hot crab dip on their biscuit and they took the bite and they go, oh my God, this is the best crab dip I've ever tasted in my entire life. And you're like, what about the biscuits? (laughs) And that started, that started the blog because we had 400 and something phone calls, emails, text about, can we have the recipe for the nice. crab dip? I'm like, what about the biscuits? <laughs> they did buy a lot of biscuits too. So that is the very first recipe we ever published. And then from then on, it was just what I was feeding my family. If we had a family recipe that we wanted to share and that went on for years until from 2008 we wrote. And then that way I felt like I was giving you something and I wasn't always saying, bye, bye, bye. Here's a recipe that I make for my family. Right. 
for the four people that read it. I'm sure nobody was reading. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to make this recipe, like I feel like today it's like, here's a recipe and here is where you can go to get all the ingredients and the, the tools you need, the pots, the pans. So now you're also, there's opportunity for like affiliate marketing. I don't know. If yeah, but that. that wasn't even a thing back then. And I was so elementary. I would literally not even type it in the right recipe order and just say, here's how I make it. And yeah. it was very rough. But where you were is exactly where you needed to be to get started. Yeah. And I'm sure it's only gotten better from there. And I felt really good about always reaching out to the customer because I was giving them something mm-hmm. you know that from my sales background I knew that like if I gave you something then I had an opportunity to ask you for something Quid pro quo yeah so um, I did from 2008 until 2014 wrote recipes one or two a month um, and just kind of built that not thinking anything of it and then got a book deal wow and so again, that was your first book deal. That was my first book deal. And oh. I said, well, who in the hell is going to buy this? Nobody's going to buy this. <laughs> and they said, just treat it like it's a product. So we treated it like it was a product launch on our website. And not many people bought it. But I'm proud to say now that we've it's been out for over 10 years, we've sold over 30,000 copies. Wow. So um, it's been an incredible opportunity, something that I never in a million years thought I would get the opportunity to do, and nor did I really think that I was qualified to do, uh, but I did it. So did the book deal come to you, or did you go seek a book deal? No, the book deal came to me, but my I have an incredible agent. Surrounding myself with people that are smarter than me has always been my MO. So I, she sold the, the book deal, and she's a great friend and always believed in me and saw something that I never saw, even today. Um, and, so, and she also sold my second cookbook, too. So it was great. Wow. So, okay, so you start, you, now you have, just to paint the big picture, the year is around 2008, two th- right? You have your mail order. You have now developed two recipes for biscuits. Uh, you have published a book. You got an email list. P- book didn't come out till 2014. 14, got it. But you have your email list, your, your blog, where you're now off, you're, you're giving instead of asking. Uh, you're going the back and forth, which is very important. Um, is your email list evolving at this point or is it segmented? Yeah, because every time we would be featured on the Today Show, on the Food Network, and my publicist is still working. So like we got a great you know, piece in Sever, we got a great piece in Bon Appetit and Food and Wine. People would come to the website, we'd capture their email address. So mm-hmm. it was just building, building, building. Got it. Organically. So what was the, the next, at this point, are you continuing to increase your profits into early 2010s? We're making money. I mean, we weren't making a ton of money. You know, we were still trying to navigate through like a growing business. It's so hard because you don't really know, or I didn't really know what I was doing. So yes, we were making money, but we were also spending money to, you know, better our facility, buy better packaging, hire more people. Um, but you know, we always made money at the end of every year. Yeah. Um, so what was but I didn't know what my margins were. I didn't have anybody. To, I mean, I had an accountant and she would say, this is how much money you made at the end of the year. And But I never had somebody going, okay, well, you should sell this biscuit because, I mean, what we found out not very long ago is that, you know, the ham biscuit, while it is, you know, what started the business, it is the most labor intensive biscuit to make. It takes three days to make it and it is expensive. It's It's ludicrous. It's like caviar. And so it's not our best seller because it's cost prohibitive. Yeah. So 
when what was next i mean was that the next element of trying to figure like basically like kind of like so this is what happened in 2014 i went on a book tour to sell the book where exactly nobody came to buy the book and the few people that did said well when i come to charleston where can i buy your biscuits hot and i said I don't know. We don't have, right. I don't have a place for you to do that. And so I came home from the book tour and went to all my friends and people that I knew in the culinary community. And I said, you need to put my biscuits on your menu. The, the restaurants did not have biscuits in Charleston. Nobody wanted to make them. They're, they're labor intensive. They're pain in the ass. And nobody wants to serve bread anymore because, right. you know, it's a cost that you can't recoup. I said, you can charge for a basket of Cali's biscuits, put it on your menu. And nobody would do it. Really? And so the question in my mind was, where can they get the hot little biscuits? Where can they get the hot little biscuits? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how to get the hot little biscuits to them. Your fear is facing you straight in the face. Like the fear of, I don't want to open a restaurant, right? I it's did not. staring you down. Like you're looking on the barrel of this idea of yeah. a brick and mortar. But what I knew was that if I didn't open a brick and mortar, then I wasn't going to be able to grow the online and really the wholesale because nobody knew about us. Yeah. We were like living in cyberspace. You know, nobody knew before 2014 about Callie's Biscuits here in this community. And when I opened that store, it was almost 10 years after starting. Yeah. Well, we're going to celebrate our ninth year in that King Street space this summer. Nobody knew about Callie's Biscuits until we opened it. And I opened it not because I wanted to open a restaurant, but because I wanted to use it as a way to advertise, to grow the online and the wholesale. I feel like especially King Street is such a like, it's it's like, you know, Bourbon Street for New Orleans. But it wasn't then. But now, but, but now it is. Yeah. So like, yes. I feel like it's like now it's like, it's one of the stops you have to make when you're on Kingston. Right. Street. There's so many iconic spots, right. That are like, when you think of Charleston, you think of these brands, um, you're in the perfect spot, right? So how many total Cali biscuits locations are there? Two now we had four, two of them were out of state. One was in Charlotte and one was in Atlanta. Okay. It was that, um, so this is pre COVID where you're thinking scale. I opened that first one and it was overnight. I opened it with a business plan of if I can just have 30 transactions a day. And I think the price was like $8 and 35 cents. I will not lose money. It was never about making money. It was about, I just want to not, I want to use this as a market. I went to, I heard a bunch of people speak, and one of the people that spoke at a conference was the uh, founders of Stonewall Kitchens. And they said, well, everybody knows that our brick and mortars, like a Williams-Sonoma or whatever, they don't make money. They're there for marketing. And I thought, oh, I never thought of it that yeah, way. So people can experience it the first time, and then once they have it, they want to order. So that that combined with where can they get the hot little biscuits, I, I found this sliver that was an alley that was walled in. And I said, I'm going to open I this. I rode past it twice. Yeah, I know. You, you blink. It's, <laughs> it's like, 476 like, it's and right a half. It's like, not oh, even it's right. a building. Yeah, it's literally like it's you a can walled fit your shoulders in alley. In yeah. yeah, it's eight feet wide by 80 feet long. Yeah, it's beautiful space. So and I, I brought some fun. of my chef friends in. I was like, can I put a kitchen in here? It's 40 feet. It's 40 inches wide. They're like, oh, yeah, you got it. You can do it. It's perfect for your concept, though, because I don't think people are coming to like sit down and eat biscuits. No. They want to grab their biscuit. They want to get their Instagram shot in the space. It's a very beautiful space. And they want to take it to go. My inspiration was all those bodegas in New York that I would go yeah. in and grab a bagel or a cup of coffee. And I thought it doesn't need to be anything more than this. It doesn't yeah. need to be a full blown restaurant. And 
I needed to think back to why did I start this business? And that was my children. I'm going to open it from eight to two. If I'm the only one running the store, I can still get in the carpool line. I love it. Uh, eight to two. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, that's the other cool thing too. I feel like biscuits. I mean, well, yeah, cause you want to take like, I mean, you can have biscuits any time of day. I feel like they're great as with long breakfast, as they're hot, as long as they're hot. But I don't, I was, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm going to drop that train. <laughs> but one thing I am curious about, one thing I do love about what you're doing is, uh, one thing really well, which has definitely been a trend in the most successful brands I've talked to. They don't spread themselves out. They mm, don't. My try husband to- would beg to differ with you. He's like, why do you have to do it in so many different ways? Can doing- you just sell one flavor, one vertical and just sell it? I'm like, no, that's boring. But how many, I mean, I didn't actually get a chance to look at the menu. I, I admit, but other than like, does every menu item include a biscuit? We're only biscuits. We do have grits grits and coffee and tea. Okay. So still pretty narrow, you know, oh, yeah. relative to what it could be. Yes. Like you go to like a Mexican restaurant or a Chinese restaurant sometimes and you literally, they hand you a book. Yeah, and yeah, there's no. 10 pages and it's filled from corner to corner with just like a list that they, every item has its own number, you know? Right. Um, like when you do that, you're spreading yourself so thin and, and you become so dependent on the people who, to execute that menu. But when you focus your narrow to doing one thing really well, I mean, you're doing biscuits, you have multiple types of biscuits, but really like you're still, your focus is biscuits. Right. Definitely. Um, I feel like if, if you're going to do anything, try to be the best at one thing instead of trying to be everything to everyone. Agreed. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that you do really well. So I'm curious Thank today, you. if we kind of get in the airplane, we zoom up to 30,000 feet. You have two brick and mortars at 1.4. You closed two because of the pandemic. Ish. Yeah, is it I mean, I opened Atlanta the second. I opened Atlanta second. Ignorance is bliss. I had no idea what I was doing, but I had a great space and a family friend. And I thought we, if we're going to, you know, at that point, I was like, I want to have hot little biscuits everywhere. I didn't even know what it would entail to do that. But I met with a couple of consultants and they're like, you got to prove the concept. You got to have four locations. You got to have some out of market. And this is what they need to be grossing. And I was like, okay, we can do that. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, your objective is to use these brick and mortars to get the brand out. So, it- But then when I saw the lines down the street and the money that we made, I was like, oh, my God. We should we should do this and the internet and the wholesale, yeah. and that is when you kind of get you get so excited because people love it and yeah. you want to. People were emailing me every day. Go, oh, I want to open one here. I want to do that, and you get caught up in that. And you think if you have the right people on your team, anything is possible. Um, There's truth to that, and there is truth to that. But I also needed to be with my family. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I spent a ton of time in Atlanta and well, Charlotte was just COVID related 100%. We just, you know, we opened two weeks before COVID. So knowing what you know now, uh, after taking this dive face first into the brick and mortar part of the food and beverage industry, restaurants, what have you learned? How have you evolved? If you, if you're doing it again and you're trying to scale the brick and mortar, what's, what's your new approach? I, I think I'm really focused on doing what we're doing in Charleston really well. So we're super focused after years and everyone can relate to this going through COVID in the restaurant world and, and in, in online and retailer focusing on making sure we're profitable because it's somewhere along that three year hell of COVID. Everybody knows, I mean, our profits 
took nosedives. I mean, some of them, some of them went up, but only for flour, butter, eggs, everything. Yeah, all your ingredients. (laughs) Packaging, freight, everything. And so we were focused on trying to keep everything alive and probably not as focused on margin and profit because we're not a, a... we're not a nonprofit. We want to make money. Yeah. I mean, it was never your goal when you first started the brick and mortar to profit. You no. want just to cover your costs. Right. So now you're like, well, I got to reapproach this because right. now there's opportunity to profit and there's a right. huge opportunity we're missing. So where did you start? What was the first step to becoming profitable? Um, making hard decisions like closing Charlotte and closing Atlanta because the lease was up and they wanted to raise the rent and we weren't making, barely making any money, not enough to stay open and then know that when we increased the rent and having staffing issues, I was like, this, I got to simplify my life. I also had our youngest daughter was having a health crisis and I needed to be with her every day and it just was, it made it really easy. I can only do so much in a day. Yeah. Let's focus on what we have here and grow this. And we were growing a catering division that kind of just popped up out of nowhere because people kept calling this restaurant and I'm like, oh my God, we can't, we can't do catering out of an 800 or 600 (laughs) square foot space. So it just, it was just a perfect storm of, okay, Carrie, you've got to take some things off your plate and let's focus on what we can control. Got it. Um, so I agree. The first step is stop the bleeding, right? When you're trying stop to get profitable, stop like what's working right now, where can we funnel our focus to what's working now and stop the bleeding? But I'm curious, where were you emotionally and mentally just before closing? Like, were you feeling like a, like, was there a down point where you feel like you failed? I think with Atlanta, I did not feel like a failure. We were open for seven years. It brought so much recognition, joy. We were in the middle of an incredible neighborhood. We had so many great customers and I felt like our time was done there. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, if you can get past the two year mark, I think that's a success. Yeah. So the fact that we were there for seven years, um, and, and it just, it did a lot. It taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about how not to grow. It taught me a, a lot about how to grow. What about not to grow? What, what, well, like, first, for starters, would do not open your second location five hours away. Okay. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. I was like, oh, I'm no. not here to I'm, share my opinion. I'm here to listen to a different perspective. No, but the thought that I had in my mind was that your, your goal isn't, I was trying to keep on telling myself she's not trying to scale a restaurant. No, she's trying I was to get trying exposure. to grow the brand. Yeah. And I was like, in that case, that makes sense. Because it's just people are essentially sampling in different markets that might exactly. want this. I needed so to I grow like, the brand. And I didn't think that Charleston could handle a second one. Now I look at it, Charleston could probably handle four or five more. Okay. So you, you close Charleston, you close uh, Atlanta. Atlanta. Sorry, Atlanta. So Charleston's still going. Oh, yeah. We have two in here. Oh. We have two here. We have okay. one that's been open. We'll be open nine years in Got July it. and one that just celebrated so total six year. four locations right now? We had four. Now we have two. We have two in Charleston, yeah. one in Atlanta, one in Charlotte. We so closed that's, that's oh, four, so, and we've closed Charlotte and Atlanta. Oh, I thought you said you were still going with Charlotte. No, no. We, oh. Charlotte never even got off the ground. Charlotte oh. was disastrous <laughs> from day one. Sorry about that. That was a money pit. So, okay. So uh, you narrow your focus. You say, "Let's. what are we doing? What's already working? Let's do it better. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's refine our systems, refine our processes, menu engineering, what else? like with the paint the picture hire in-house finance person and not rely on a 10-year accountant that 
wasn't there on the daily, like helping us figure out what exactly is profitable, where, where our cogs are, what, what our margins were. I mean, I think about how did we get along without having somebody in the business every day Volume helping us. Volume is how you did it, I'm sure, right? Cause, and I think that's also the benefit of not being limited to your square footage. I think you, you started with the masses where there's literally no limit to how many biscuits you could sell because if you have access to a telephone or the internet, you have access to biscuits, yes. right? And that's kind of what the industry is starting to realize now with ghost kitchens and being digitally present. Um, but you were, you were ahead of the curve, way ahead of the curve. You, re, you started the opposite way. Mm-hmm. You said, I'm going to open myself up to the world and then open up locally in, in Correct. Um, I did it the exact opposite So way. you had access to the volume and that, the, that volume was floating the business. And, but now you start to see, wait, there's a huge opportunity that I'm missing by putting energy into the brick and mortar. Energy into the brick and mortar. And also there was a point right after the major part of COVID where we lost some big business uh, due to competition coming in and undercutting. And then that's when we really started looking, oh, my God, what are our margins? Um, You know, what are our cogs? You know, we were we've grown every single year in the 18 years, anywhere from 15 to 40 percent. But the last two years, our COGS, while we've grown maybe 27 to 30%, our COGS have also grown 80 to 90%. Wow, that's crazy. And I didn't have somebody telling me that on the daily. They would tell me at the end of the year, well, that didn't do me any good. Yeah, you need to know like every I need to week. know every week, and that yeah. is what we know now. We look at it every single week, and we are constantly analyzing it and trying to figure out how to make it better. And, you know, we're still somewhat of... Um, you know, a four, I say a fourth quarter business. We're bit, you know, we just had Easter and we're busy there, and Mother's Day will be busy, but it's still not like gangbusters every day for the online yeah. and for the and for the wholesale. Yeah, here we're lucky that we live in a town where our season in Charleston is from March to September. That's a pretty good season. Yep. Um, but you know, when when October comes, October, November, December, January, February, we we have to scale down. Yeah. And really watch our pennies. So I'm curious when you brought, it sounds like you brought an accountant in or a consultant to help you. I brought a controller in. Controller in to help you with your cost of goods, with your menu engineering, uh, really trying to figure out where every penny is going, how to get the maximum margin from the work you're doing. Right. Can you get granular into exactly like what that looked like for you and your business? Or is that not your, your lane? Uh, well, I mean, it, it involved him getting down and looking at every single dollar we were spending and watching the process. I mean, our, we're handmade. So, you know, there's some gray area there. It's not a mechanized system. That's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, I had people in place that were supposed to be watching those numbers, like for the Hot Little Biscuits. We had a district manager that was managing all of them. But, and, and, you know, you got to have the right people on the bus. Mm-hmm. I, I go to the restaurants every day that that I'm in town. I, I don't need you to just go. I need you to go in and dig in. Like, yeah. how much is this? And if we were to switch to this company, would we save money? And and what about this bacon as opposed to this? And I mean, you know, all the things that you would do in a business to try to keep your costs low, that was not happening. And and that wasn't just on one person. I mean, I've I've had since I started many district managers. There was it was rare for that to happen. 
a lot of that is because there's so many other things going on in the restaurant. You're just trying to keep right. it open, keep the doors open, yeah. keep the employees. You know, we're all working the register. I'm making biscuits. I mean, we're doing what we can to survive. Yeah. So what was the tipping point? Was Can you remember, was there something that when, when this person, it sounds like you, your, your solution was having a specialist come in and help you and guide you. When did the needle really start to move? What was the thing that you started doing specifically? Well, he started creating projections and margins for every single product that we make and not just the products, but how we sell them. So, you know, like if we sell on Gold Belly versus our site versus distribution versus individual small retailers and we have that, everything is analyzed now, every single thing. Whenever I sell a box of biscuits and I, depending on who I sell it to, I know exactly how much money I make. I never knew that before. Mm. Yeah. Um, any other, so where, so the, today the business like we already talked about is the mail order. It's the, the brick and mortar. You also have a food truck. Now you're doing the catering. You said you, you are doing wholesale. Now there are restaurants buying your biscuits. No, that would be what we would call food service. Um, okay. wholesale is like a specialty grocery store. Okay. Um, distribution is like Publix, Harris Teeter, you got the big groceries. Got it. You got the, the cookbooks. You got your your email list that you're pushing to. Paint the picture. Like where is like where is the the like in priority? Like what's your your, your biggest cash flow down to like your littlest one? We make the most money off of the internet. Got it. So that is obviously a focus of ours. But that's also there's there's only so much you can do to control that. Right. Would you say like fifty percent? Or like 80? Uh, I don't, I don't, ha- I mean, I don't have that on. What if you had a guess? Of, of, I don't know that I really want to answer okay. that. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> um, so, I mean, what haven't we talked about? Key lessons that you have that you would be able to pay forward? I think first and foremost, whatever your vision is, know your numbers. I mean, I, you know, I really wish I'd gotten more involved in the numbers from the beginning, but you know, we couldn't afford somebody like we have now to be able to analyze and, and, and advise us on where we should be spending money and where we shouldn't and how we can cut. And that has been incredibly important and educational. Right. Um, it helps, it helps make decisions a lot easier when you're making them based on data, not emotion. But I wouldn't trade any of it. I mean, everything that I've done over the last 18 years has taught me something and has helped me grow and has given me opportunities. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think back to why did I start the business? I started it so that I could be in food and be a mom. And I have accomplished that. So to me, it's successful. Do I want to have new goals and have new successes? Absolutely. And I don't know necessarily what the future is going to hold, but I know that we've got some incredible opportunities ahead yeah. of us and I feel like we're barely scratching the surface. Yeah. And that is one thing I wanted to, to talk about is what, like where is the business now and like how are you planning to evolve for the industry or as the industry evolves? Also like instead of just reacting to what the industry is telling us we need to do, how can we be proactive and, and create collectively the industry we want? You know, like how can we go consciously into the future and not do it, how we've been traditionally doing it, which I believe is fear-based reacting to the consumer, reacting to the market and kind of doing things because we feel like we have to do it. If we don't, we will be in trouble. You know what I mean? So, um, one other thing I wanted to point out and you just, and you kind of resurfaced it is this idea that you've never sacrificed what you got into the business for in the first place. And I think that is crucial. Um, for you, it's always been about balance. And I think people lose sight of that 
especially in this industry. I think collectively as an industry, we can be much better about being, do I need to make an extra 20,000 this year? Like, is, I is mean, 80,000 profit that, enough or you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you have to know what your goals are. You have to know what gets you out of bed every day. And you know, I wanted to be able to do both. And that does not mean that I always do that successfully. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are days when like today, when I am not going to pick up our youngest daughter from school, but that's okay. It's okay well, thank to you for not sacrificing that. For, for my <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you very much. For- You're welcome. But you know, they, they also, you're teaching independence. You're teaching, um, you can do anything you want to do. Yeah. Um, and you're hopefully teaching passion. Right. You know? Uh, and it does take a tribe. I think we forget too that like we're oh a part of this gosh, community. Yes. There's re- like there's this is why we pay taxes, you know, so we can have school buses and things like this and, and public services and uh it's okay to let you like you said, to like teach your kids independence and use the system that we all invest in. Right. Yeah. So um where is the future? Like like what are you doing with Cali's hot little biscuits to be prepared for where the industry is going. Uh, well, this is what I know. I'm, I'm making biscuits. A lot of, a lot has changed about our business since we started 18 years ago. But the one thing that hasn't changed is the way that we make the biscuits and the quality is super important. And I want to make sure that I never lose sight of that. I also don't want to just create things to create things. I want there to be an authenticity associated with it. And I want to be very mindful about how we grow and make sure that I don't spread myself too thin. Mm. What are you Um, doing to For instance, I'm not going to open another Hot Little Biscuit until I find the right partner that is an expert in the industry that is schooled in scaling and knows how to replicate yeah. and knows how to manage. If you're listening to this, if you're, and you're listening, looking for call an opportunity, me if yeah. you're an expert and fast casual grab and yeah. go, 80% of our listeners are owners and operators. So there might be a partner out there yeah. for you. Uh, one thing I do want to recognize about you is your, your personal brand. You're really good at, I think at developing a personal brand and Thank you don't you. think so? No, I mean, you know, I don't really pay much attention to that. I don't think I'm particularly good at that, but thank you for saying well, that. Well, I feel like, like we're just looking, going into your store, it looks like every inch of your space is very intentional. Well, you're, yes. You know, you're displaying your books, you're displaying all of your products. Um, I think when you start digitally, you have to be really good at putting yourself out there digitally and telling a story, email marketing, vlogging, blogging, whatever it is. And, and, and it's your story that sold the biscuits. You know, when we go back to Good Morning America, right, where they say you have an amazing store or when the, the, the Food Network, was it the Food Network mm-hmm. that came in? Yeah. They loved your story. So, like, just being willing to put your story out there and, and to make it public and to hire a publicist to help push it, the story, uh, and just being mindful of, of how you're, I guess, be, being interpreted. Well, I think that it's really easy to do that if you are yourself. Mm. And I think that social media has gotten completely out of control. I'm not saying it. People, I did not plant any seeds. I'm always saying this on the show. Oh, you I'm, are? Yeah. So continue your But thought, I'm please. also, you know, I'm old in the social media world and I've, I've watched it. You know, we, we were there from the very beginning and I, I watch it and I'm just like, oh my God, it is a rat race and it, it, it angers me. I also have three daughters that are completely wrapped up in it, just like all of their peers. So, you know, I know that it's a necessary evil and it has brought us so much recognition and grown our brand. Um, what do you but mean by out of control? I just think that everybody is trying to one up the next and it's just like you feel this 
need to always post about everything you're doing. I'm going to the bathroom now. I'm going to use this toilet paper. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I am a part of that. I have made, you know, I am contributing to it. Not as much as I probably should, but that's just because I don't want to do it. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, I, you're preaching to the choir. Um, but you're scared if you don't that you're going to get lost and that there's going to be somebody else that's doing something better and you're going to be for, forgotten. So I guess my advice and what I tell myself, I mean, I go days without posting. and I say I want to post when I want to post mm-hmm. about what I want to post mm-hmm. because that is the true story of me and my brand. Now, my brand is separate than me. It's not Carrie's Biscuits, and that's very intentional because I don't know that I'd be able to sell Carrie's Biscuits like I can sell Callie's Biscuits. Mm. What do you mean by that? I mean that it for me, I'm pr- not particularly good about talking about Yourself. my success. And I can tell you all day about my failures, but I can tell you that my mother, Callie, makes the best biscuits of any person I've ever tasted. And I'm very proud of that, and I truly believe that. And so, therefore, that gives me the motivation to want to sell them. Yeah. There was one thing I just remember that I was hoping to talk about we never did is that you um, you were a part of a TV show. You had a show that was called How She Rolls. Yeah. So was that your idea as another way to promote the biscuits, or, again, did somebody approach you? I've had a lot of people over the years be very complimentary and say, wow, you're so good on camera. You're natural. You know, you should have your own TV show or you should be on this show. And I'm like, thank you. That's very kind. And I, and I go back to being myself and I hope that that is probably why I'm, if you call it a natural, a natural, I don't know. I did not go after it. I had my publicist ask me, do you want me to try to find a show? And I'd say, no, because if it's supposed to happen, it'll happen. Mm. And it did. One day, literally, a producer called me and he said, I've heard your story and I want to know, would you be interested in me pitching you for a show? And I said, I don't know, what show? And he said, your own show. And I said, again, I don't know that I am worthy of having my own show. And he said, well, what about on the Food Network? And I said, no. And he said, you know, some other names. And I said, absolutely not. And he said, well, what about public television? And I said, I would consider that. Because to me. That's you. It was me. It was safe. I was protected. I've always loved public television. I could have my children on it. And I'd feel good about them not only being on it, but watching it. And I feel and have felt this for a long time that if I can help another female entrepreneur, but really any entrepreneur in their journey and motivate them and give them the, oh, I can do this too, then I feel like that is the way that I can give back. What When people say they like your story, what is it about your story that they love so much? I don't know. Probably that I never quit. I don't know. Yeah. I can get behind that for sure. And just, <laughs> just be like, just constantly pushing, but not the expense of what's most important to you. Five, Ab- absolutely. At the end of the day, like I'm not going to forget about why I started it. And I, I, it's, it's not about money for me. It is about me feeling successful. And that starts every morning when I get out of bed, Yeah, I love you that. know? And That's- so just knowing, okay, today I, I have to make today a good day. So, so as we go 
into the future with all this craziness with social media? I mean, I, I know you had a tw- uh, 2021, 2022. Is, there, is the show still going? It airs for six years. We had 20 episodes. Wow. We did season one and season two. And I, you know, we've gone back and forth. I feel like I've told my story. I yeah. feel like it's time for somebody else to tell their story. So, I don't want to go. I want to go out on a high, not like, oh, God, is she still droning on about the biscuits? So what, what was your personal personal mission with the show, just to get the story out and inspire my, women? Yeah, well, my personal mission was obviously to grow the brand and brand awareness. I, you know, obviously, if somebody says, you, we want to do a TV show and it's going to be showed and yeah. shown in 96% of the country and you're going to have a million and a half views and win a Peabody Award, I would have been like, are you joking? <laughs> That's ridiculous. I was the biggest naysayer. Even when, when we'd finished wrapping the first season, I was like, this is never going to air. This is crazy. I had no idea. So what has had the biggest impact on your business between the TV show, the food and wine features, the, the, t- the television features, the, the, you know, the good morning America was it to the today show. You had, um, I think it's all the been Network. the perfect storm. It's been a great journey and it's not over. I think that every time we get mentioned, it is a gift. Yeah. So, I mean, nothing is greater than the next. I mean, obviously having your own TV show is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but it's not, it doesn't define me. Yeah. And I hope that I inspired people. I hope that I brought brand recognition. I hope that I showed how hard it is and not just showed how great it is because right. there's a lot of not great about owning your own business yeah. and it's hard. It's That's hard important to shit. me too. I, I, <laughs> I say it all the time. I echo the sentiment. I, I truly hope I, I encourage more people out of this industry than I do into it. Yeah. Cause if I can prevent a couple people from a lot of hard days and nights and lost money and, and help them get the reality of what it's like to own a restaurant to the point where they're like, maybe I don't want to do this. I think I'm doing them a service. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think that people think the hardest part is starting. And that is a very hard part. But as you grow, it gets harder and harder and yeah. harder. The problems and the, and, and the challenges are bigger. And they're sometimes not solvable. Yeah. And I'm a problem solver. So it's hard for me to not be able to. I want to go to bed at night and go, okay, I checked everything off my list and I've solved every problem. Yeah. And that does not happen. Yeah, we, we have a question coming for that. So I'm going to sit on it. But I do want to know, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, transform the industry. How have you personally transformed over the now, what, 20, almost 20 years, 18 years you've been doing this? As, as a person, well, yeah. how have I transformed? I think that I have um, learned to not let everything affect me and sit on it. You know, that comes probably with wisdom um, and age and experience, but, you know, not being so reactionary, Um, sleeping on it for days, not responding, not um, not letting it ruin your day. Right. That would be the biggest thing. And, you know, I think surrounding yourself with people, really good people on your team, because I I'm just the idea person. And then I have this amazing team of 55 other people that make it happen every day. Yeah. yeah. And I couldn't do that without them. Carrie, I've loved today's conversation. Thank you very much. Thank we're gonna, you. Yeah, we're going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors and we're going to bust out a true speed round. This episode is brought to you by Ovation. Creating a great guest experience is the goal of every restaurant every time. But the ways to find out what's actually happening with the guests are terrible. Long surveys are annoying. Nobody likes to take them. Table touches aren't scalable. And every negative review costs you 30 new customers. 
Ouch. That's where Ovation steps in. Ovation gets happy guests to leave positive reviews, unhappy guests to share what happened, and it gives you specific ideas to improve. Using a simple two-question survey, guests either click a text message they get after placing an order or scan a QR code to easily answer, how was your experience? Happy guests leave five-star reviews and can be invited back with automated text marketing. And unhappy guests share privately what went wrong so you can resolve your concerns in real time. Then the magic happens. Ovation takes all the public reviews and all the Ovation private feedback and analyzes them in a single simple view so you can know exactly what to fix and where. It's frictionless for your guests, easy for your managers, and powerful for you. If you're interested in actionable guest feedback, visit OvationUp.com slash unstoppable. Unstoppable listeners get $100 off their setup fee. What are you waiting for? That's OvationUp.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by OneHuddle. OneHuddle is a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fire up your workforce. OneHuddle provides a mobile-first approach to preparing the modern worker, a library of 3,000-plus quick-burst skill games, and the option to instantly create personalized content. OneHuddle is changing the way restaurants develop their workers by transforming the traditional manuals and videos into deceptively simple, highly effective mobile games proven to level up workers quickly. Let's get into some of the facts. So with OneHuddle, you can onboard employees 45% faster than traditional methods. And there's actually a study done by the University of South Florida that has proven you can train your employees 45% faster using games on OneHuddle versus traditional micro learning and video-based learning. This new and improved way to educate your staff will translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the guest experience, both front and back of house, i.e. menu development, menu memorizing, POS, limited time offers, food costing, things like this. You're looking at a more engaged worker too because they're in competition with themselves and the entire organization. This stuff is powerful. Right now, head to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash one, like the number one, and huddle like a football huddle. And if you use that link, you can get 90 days access to one huddle's game shop, which includes 3,000 plus on-demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe to the latest Amazon best-selling books and so much more. Again, that's restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. And you have to use that link. This is a cost per acquisition agreement, meaning we get paid per lead that goes through that link. So if you are finding value in this podcast and you want to support, please use this link. And it's, it's a testament to how much we believe in one huddle that we're willing to do this. So thank you in advance. We're back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Kindness. What is your biggest weakness? Trusting. How are you overcoming that? Taking a step back and... These are not one-word answers. I know. How am I overcoming that? I know, I know, I know. Um, How am I overcoming that? Um being more mind, just being mindful. Yeah. 
What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Um, tell me about your integrity. Mm. What are you looking for? Doing the right thing when no one's looking. I love that. What is your biggest challenge today? Figuring out how to scale. How are you overcoming that? Uh, exploring new opportunities. I love it. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team, a core value, a way to be. Kindness, always. What is one way you go above and beyond guest expectation to serve the unexpected? We, I teach people to go out of their way to do whatever it takes to make the customer happy. No, everybody knows in our company you have full license to give away biscuits, give away kindness, get them to come back, do whatever. Because at the end of the day, not everybody's going to like your biscuit, but they will like the experience. I love it. What is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? Oh, setting the table. Biggest lesson from that book? Customer service. What is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Customer service. What is one piece of technology you've recently adopted within your businesses that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? Well, this is um, within building a culture, and it's new, and we love it. It's called Assembly. Assembly. What is Assembly? Assembly is like an inner office Instagram for your company. It is a way to communicate, recognize, reward, um, peer-on-peer recognition and digitally. conversation digitally. It, it, it looks very similar to Instagram, and it is flipping awesome. What is the best feature that you like the most? I like that I can call people out for doing good and then give them money or what we call biscuit bucks and say, you are a badass for doing this. And it can be as simple as stamping the bags without me asking. It's the, the ability to publicly recognize. Publicly recognize and not just bosses recognizing employees, but peers recognizing peers, like building that culture where people want to come to work. What impact has this had on your bottom line? Or some other Well, it's relatively new. We've only been using it for seven months, but I hope to be able to say that it will help with retention. That's mm -hmm. the reason that we're doing it. Got it. Uh, first time mentioned on the show too. So thank you for actually, I should make a note. Mm -hmm. So I follow up assembly assembly. And this is the last question. It's a doozy. Get ready for it. <laughs> if you got the news, you would be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work in your restaurants and your biscuits would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you can leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Think about it, your children. You want to leave your children with three pieces of wisdom. Oh, my God. That's uh, a doozy. This is heavy. Work hard. One. Be kind. Two. And believe in yourself. Three. This has been a lot of fun, Gary. Thank, Thank you so much. You. And I didn't call you Callie once. And I'm really I'm proud so of myself. I'm so impressed. That might be a first. <laughs> really? I'm not kidding. I was so afraid. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to call this poor lady you're Callie. You're so kind. No, I mean, it literally happens every day, multiple times a day. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. So um, so let me ask you, uh, who do you respect and admire in the industry? If I got this person on the show tomorrow, you'd be like, I got to find out what their perspective is. Who is that person for you? Uh, well, 
I would say, and anybody that knows me in the business would say it's Jenny Brittenbauer, mm-hmm. just because she's a force and she has built an empire. Jenny's ice cream. She's past guest on the show. Oh, really? Yes, I've had her. And you know what? I'm due to get her back. Uh, I actually have a friend who lives in Columbus, Ohio now, so I have yeah. excuses to go there. Uh, and I would love to get her back. She is a powerhouse. She's a powerhouse. Uh, and it's been almost five years since I first had her on the show, so I'm sure a lot has changed. I think Because she's so. constantly improving. Yeah. You know? uh, this has been a lot of fun. If we enjoyed today's conversation, we want to follow you in your biscuit journey and maybe be, um, want an opportunity. What's the best way to connect? Please visit us at Callie'sBiscuits.com. Uh, follow us on social media for all the things biscuits and recipes at Carrie Bailey Mori or and or Callie's Hot Little Biscuit. And this is episode 994. Wow. Head over to RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash 994. We'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as any links to tools or services recommended on the show and how to connect with Carrie over there. And now is when I say, Carrie, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're a great guest, and there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Oh, thank you. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Carrie Mori, for being untraditional, for getting out of the mold, for breaking the mold, for doing exactly what you need to do when you needed to do it in a way that made sense for you. And this is one thing I'm trying to do with the show is showing people that there, there is more than one way to get from point A to point B. Start where it makes sense for you. Start doing what you can do right now, but just start. And that's exactly what you did, Carrie. You just started where it made sense for you and you, you never let your business own you. From day one, you've always owned your business. And I think that's just really beautiful. And you know, honestly, you were super gracious with me. Uh, I'm, I'm pushing the envelope. I'm trying to get access to, to knowledge and perspectives that people typically don't talk about and it can be awkward it can be weird and i just i have to say that my guests have been so good with me and generous with me and willing to, to go to these awkward places to have these conversations and i just i just can't do it without you guys thank you so much and if you're enjoying this podcast and you want more just like it we need your support you can support the show by supporting our sponsors using our affiliate links sharing this thing with everybody and anyone you know aspiring to be great in the industry our mission is to inspire empower and transform the industry i believe we if we can get this thing out into as many ears as possible in the industry we we will transform the industry if we transform the industry we transform the world it sounds lofty but you know what it's something worth showing up for and i love the sentiment so i'm going to start echoing it more and then one other thing i want to make sure you're you're aware of to support this podcast is we're bringing back the network i gotta be honest i'm not a manager i've never meant to be a manager and I don't like sitting around in front of a computer. I do love getting out into the world, hitting the road, connecting with people in person, and just feeding the funnel with these amazing folks. And I'm excited to announce that we're bringing on a community manager. Uh, her name is Callan, and she is going to be basically taking the lead on Restaurant Unstoppable Network, scheduling events, following up with past guests, and hopefully holding me accountable and getting me to start sharing more of my knowledge uh, and, and sharing that in the network. But if we're going to pull this off, we need your support. We need you in there engaging with each other, engage, engaging with our past guests, and creating community around this idea of sharing knowledge and moving the industry forward. So if you haven't yet, head over to restaurantstoppablenetwork.com, become a member, and be a part of the conversation. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.